I am Dr. T. And I'm Grace. And this is our podcast, Mischievous Panda, where we discuss our lighthearted approach to discovering mindfulness and a vibrant lifestyle. Today's topic we're going to be covering hedonic adaptation, another central topic in Empress and Happier book. So, going into hedonic adaptation. So tell me about uh, your experience with hedonic adaptation. What, if you could explain to our listeners what hedonic adaptation is? Yeah, I mean, I think even by virtue of it, say having adaptation in its name of this term, um, I like to think of hedonic adaptation as really um, this concept of within internally when something happens to you how quickly you can adapt right and or how quickly you will adapt to that being your new state of normal and i think mm-hmm. a lot of times like i don't know about official definition or anything but i think a lot of times we'll think about you know if i get that next job or like promotion if i just get an increase in pay that I will be so much happier. Like it'll be a just reward. So for example, if you feel like you've been burning the midnight oil and pouring all of your effort into, um, what your work and what you're doing and that you're exceeding all your goals, then you're like, the next natural step is I should get a promotion or I should get a raise for everything mm-hmm. that I'm doing. And I'll be so happy because I'll have been recognized and I will feel fantastic and valued and that'll just stay with me. I'll be in a better place. Right. Yeah. Then that happens. Like, okay, then you, you've put in all that effort. It's been recognized. You get the big promotion. You get that big salary increase. And pretty soon after that, whether that's a month, whether that's a few months, at some point you're going to realize, wait a minute, I'm back to where I was before. Like I'm not any happier because you've gotten used to it. It's kind of, there's this phenomenon in um that we see in a lot of the research like if i think about when i was doing my mba program where we'll do a lot of case studies and we'll talk about organizations and like change and how to motivate your staff um and a lot of times they talk about this intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and how a lot of times people associate things that are more extrinsically motivating in terms of money with like motivation but how that doesn't last. And I think that speaks to this concept of hedonic adaptation. Mm-hmm. That's like my amateur's attempt at, at explaining what it means to me. I mean, I'm curious to hear kind of from your perspective as a scientist, how would you describe hedonic adaptation? And pretty much what you said is uh, very accurate with regard to um, how we see it. In psychology, I think... Um, Hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill, as it's commonly praised, uh, is the concept that people tend to have a baseline uh, when it comes to certain things like happiness. And oftentimes, this uh, baseline tend to uh, not change much. And even after like a life-altering event, like winning the lottery or uh, negative things like something major, like uh, like becoming a player plegic, mm-hmm. people t- 
tend to have this giant swing with regard to their happiness and relatively quickly they tend to adapt to it so this was initially first studied uh, back in i think late 1970s uh, there's a study i think is from uk uh, that came to be uh, where they followed some lottery winners and also paraplegics and they initially studied them like you know have them rate their happiness uh with like their baseline six weeks prior to the event and then i think it was a couple of years after the event mm-hmm. and then they went back and they looked at these things and they found out that a lot of these people they kind of went back to their baseline happiness even with winning the lotto where people think that their life is going to be changed and they're going to be on cloud nine for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. a lot of these people, they kind of revert back to their baseline happiness. And puzzling enough, the people that they lost their limbs and they that resulted in them becoming paraplegic, mm-hmm. they basically went back to their almost near baseline happiness, mm-hmm. which you know, tend to be kind of intuitive because we think that it's going to have such a lasting effect, right? And according to this study, they were kind of back to their baseline with regard to this. There was some uh, nostalgia that they noticed that when they talked to these people uh, a couple of years down the line, that they perceived they were a lot more happier than they were when they had their legs. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically like, you know, they were viewing, looking back, we tend to be a lot more nostalgic and a lot more with um, rose colored, rose colored glasses, glasses right? yeah. than it is currently. But when they compared the two that they had from six months, well, six weeks ago, prior to it, and then the couple of years after it, they were able to weed out the nostalgic effect, mm-hmm. basically. Because they asked them what their view was prior to it, and it didn't really line up with what their view was After. Uh, when they first got those uh, readings uh-huh. from them, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, this study has been replicated uh, with different uh, results. And another study was done, uh, I think, uh, in their early 2000s. And that study kind of went back and said that, you know, the lottery winners were a little bit more happier, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a trend that showed that, you know, they were returning back to near baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just may have taken a little bit longer mm-hmm. than just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then there was the study kind of suggested that people had a very life-altering event of loss of somebody mm-hmm. or like a divorce that they never um, bounced back from. These people tend to have a residual effect as well. Mm-hmm. But overall, there was a trend that showed that they were coming back to near baseline. Mm-hmm. And this study, the newest study, uh, kind of sh- showed that we tend to have a 
baseline it tend to be a soft baseline mm-hmm. and about quarter of the people their baseline tend to vary quite a bit but 75% of the people uh they tend to have the more of a steady baseline so there are people that go through a catastrophic event mm-hmm. and they don't recover well mm-hmm. but for three fourths of us we tend to do okay in a sense mm-hmm. um and we will get back into the study because this was a very interesting study because there's a lot of things that that they in turn looked at that may be contributing to the people that adapted versus didn't versus didn't you knew exactly where i was going to go with that yeah. <laughs> but taking this back to 10% happier mm-hmm. you know a lot of that first part of the book where he was talking about you know going through searching for that the role that was going to bring him happiness mm-hmm. the story that was going to change his career trajectory mm-hmm. you get the sense that even though he made those accomplishments he did not find the happiness that he was anticipating or at least the lasting happiness mm-hmm. and i think that was the genius thing and what made it so relatable was when Dan Harris said that because I think we all have at some point in our lives chased something thinking that it would make us happier and then gotten to the goal and forgotten kind of the intent of it and just continue to chase right either forgotten it or it doesn't last um which then gets to the concept of then what truly like one realizing that that is a fact that that's just kind of a fact of life and how we function but then kind of moving toward well then what what is meaningful how do we actually meaningfully change that yeah exactly so one of the things that you know i found very uh interesting was that here's a guy who was looking for to be the next anchor of abc mm-hmm. and making all these uh promotions he's getting them whenever somebody leaves the show he's making his way up but he's always finding that he's just not there mm-hmm. like you know what he expected when he got this he's then he's comparing everything around him who else got what and then he's convincing himself kind of out of the happiness that he anticipated getting mm-hmm. right so in a lot of ways there's little things that we do to ourselves that slowly pull the threads away from this happiness mm-hmm. and and one of the things that i found interesting was that here's a guy who who went to war zones right mm-hmm. he went to iraq Right. I believe was it Iraq or Afghanistan? Um Afghanistan I think actually. Okay. Well, actually I don't remember. He may have gone to both. He was part of <laughs> He was part of just the news coverage of post 9/11 with the war starting going out and doing coverage on it. Exactly. And so he's talking about how he was um uh, in the midst of seeing all these war-torn ravages going around. And 
he talks about how when the camera was going, it gave him the height to continue to go in, keep going without being faced by it so that, you know, he could get the story out. But after the camera stopped, it didn't affect him as much as he thought it would. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the only thing actually that got to him was that story where this father was uh, discovering his son dead and uh, amongst the damages and it made him choke a little bit it made him uh, possibly tear up a little bit a little bit misty eye but then he was able to move on right mm-hmm. and this was kind of a puzzling thing for him because he anticipated you know all the things that he was seeing that it would have an effect on him mm-hmm. and then he got back to the u.s and then he he had a drug addiction mm-hmm. where he kind of was chasing a high from yeah. these stories. Almost right? like trying to replace that experience he had abroad. Yeah. So in my convoluted way of pointing these stories out is that all these positive things, they had this adaptation that happened to him with her and mm-hmm. uh, all these negative things. It, you know, he was able to recover from these things, right? Because he was also yes. able to adapt. Yeah. Yes. And because of the fact that, you know, he was looking for this chase to last, it almost drew him to a addiction mm-hmm. with, um, with cocaine and ecstasy, mm-hmm. right? And this is something that's very important, especially in our busy schedules is that Some of us, you know, we tend to chase things expecting we're going to have this profound positive effect by accomplishing it. But oftentimes we accomplish it. It's great for maybe a couple of days, even a week, maybe even a month. But afterwards, we tend to come back to a normal. And then on top of it, we tend to regret the fact that it didn't have that much of an effect. Mm-hmm. And this is a very dangerous place because what we end up doing is we set our next goal saying that, well, this goal was, we can tend to discount this goal. And that, well, it's not exactly the finishing line. It's mm-hmm. not the, exactly the uh, goalpost. The actual goalpost is what was behind it is this thing. Right. It just and, keeps moving. Yeah. We're moving the goalpost. Not not only that, we're anticipating more from that new goalpost. Mm-hmm. Right. And we kind of discounted our accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, we are we are always putting a goalpost that constantly moving. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this is a wrong thing to do. But this mechanism plays into the idea that you're never going to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, this little seed that you're never going to be satisfied could lead you to a addiction that you may have not even considered. Right. Or even if it's not from the lens of you're never going to be satisfied, it's at least from that lens of you're always chasing something because you think that you're going to find it 
but by virtue of being an adaptable human being. And I, I do think hedonic adaptation, I'd be curious to take a look at the research around how much of that is our survival instinct in terms of being able to cope. But I think by virtue of having that, like not realizing that you will never be satisfied and then kind of at some point forgetting the point, the initial point of why you were chasing that in the first place was to be happier, but making yourself miserable by always not succeeding. Actually, that's one of the things that a lot of the people that did the research on uh, hedonic adaptation mm-hmm. is theorizing, mm-hmm. um, hypothesizing, I should say, is that evolutionary wise, uh, there always was a need for us to continue to do the positive things or the things that uh, assured our propagation of our species, right? right? So idea of this adaptation might be to actually help us continue and also reinforce the things that got the accomplishments Mm-hmm. So that continue to be motivated to go after the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. So in many ways, this is a good thing, but we need to understand that the, why it's happening mm-hmm. so that we don't accidentally substitute it with the addiction that might be detrimental. Because in my field and in many professional fields, there's a lot of... Um, tendency for us to go into substance addictions, right? There's alcohol, there's uh, smoking, there's always these little things that um, are sometimes we tend to substitute when you don't understand Mm -hmm. why something happened that way. Mm -hmm. So having this in our arsenal, having this being the normal thing, understanding that you know, these accomplishments going to give us a high, but understanding that high is going to fade mm-hmm. and our baseline is, we're going to come back to our baseline. Mm-hmm. That gives us the knowledge that this is normal. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the idea that you're never going to be satisfied. It's the idea that satisfaction tend to flee almost. <laughs> and I think also by virtue of being aware of this as a concept and that it is kind of a cyclical thing mm-hmm. um, and it's natural that it then hopefully helps with our mindfulness on what is it that we're actually after. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought that was also um, a great way with which I think Dan Harris introduced why he started down the path of mindfulness Yes, was once he realized that something was wrong and that he was on this cycle with hedonic adaptation, this, of treadmill. Constantly, this treadmill, right? Where it just felt like he was never reaching that destination. And that was what triggered it. And it's kind of like, oh, that's like, if I take, like, I don't have extreme examples like him going to war or anything like that and needing to get a high or replicate that type mm-hmm. of adrenaline rush. But I think about, you know, all the times I've been looking for what's that next step? How do I break that glass ceiling, for example, mm-hmm. right, as a woman in the workforce? Um, and then feeling like I don't know what that, like, how do I define that? And why am I not happy when I get to that next level? And so if I had not gone through a lot of other life experience and had not read this book, maybe I wouldn't have been so aware of that's not intrinsically or that's not like inherent within me what drives my happiness. 
Exactly. And going back to why mindfulness is important, Mm -hmm. you know, when these researchers looked at um, the people that adapted and the people that had struggled, Mm -hmm. they came up with a few of the traits that um, may have contributed to this. Mm -hmm. So the key traits that they thinking that actually played a major role in this type of adaptation they were positive relationships uh, where you have a good support structure around mm-hmm. you. Uh, they have a positive self-perception of themselves. They have self-regulatory skills for emotions, controlling their emotions so that you know they don't go down the path of too much negativity mm-hmm. that's almost disproportionate to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Also, having a positive outlook on life. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at these factors, these are all the factors that meditation and mind, especially mindfulness meditation, supposed to build on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, supposed to, as a cultivate yes. through mindfulness meditation, right? Right. So, in many ways, that's why you know this his path especially in the first part of the book, was very important, was that, you know, in many ways he was looking on to a way to become happier, right? Mm -hmm. For his accomplishment to mean more things, his success to last, right? And where he led to the discovery of meditation and to ultimately, not to spoil the book ending, but he found basically being peace with himself and gaining more gratification from his accomplishments. So so it's very important that we understand that almost this soft happiness set point does exist and that the key things that help us regulate this, this set point, we build through mindfulness meditation the positive relationships with other people around us, mm-hmm. the positive self-perception of ourself, regulating our emotions better, mm-hmm. the positive outlook on life. These are things that you will gain, that you will cultivate through a mindfulness meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And and I know I'm repeating myself quite a bit here, but it's very important that you walk away with this. So going back to our understanding of repetition, <laughs> I tend to repeat a topic several times if you notice so far. It's mainly because it's it's going to have a better lasting effect in you, especially in your subconscious, <laughs> that it's been introduced multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hear Dr. T's voice on repeat, basically. <laughs> Very important that we understand that This does not mean that you shouldn't be ambitious. It does not mean that you shouldn't be striving for these goalposts. But you just need to understand that we are inherently built to have this baseline. And this baseline can change from all the studies that are coming out. It's showing that it does change. But you need to have the right mechanisms in place for it to have a 
more positive effect. It's basically like expectation management, right? So yes. it's like instead of looking for that one thing, that golden egg that's going to save you or in, infuse happiness into your life, it's really building a system through many different tools with which you can do that. And so it's like managing the expectation of even if you're ambitious and you achieve your goals and that's what you want to do and that's why you're chasing it, that that's not necessarily directly linked to your immediate happiness and helping to be aware of that and be, I think, mindful of that and keep that at the front in terms of why, like, establishing why you're chasing something instead of this vague concept of happiness is part of that. Exactly. And having mindfulness meditation practice alongside your ambitious goals is a very key feature for you to actually have a more lasting reward from accomplishing those ambitious goals. Mm-hmm. So on today's topic, we discussed hedonic adaptation. So key takeaways for today's topic. You have this almost soft baseline point for your happiness. And the key features that tend to affect this, having a positive relationship structure around you, having a positive self-perception, having basically self-regulatory skills for emotions, especially, and also having a positive outlook on life. And these things will basically help set your happiness baseline set point. And these things can be very well cultivated with a mindfulness meditation practice in your life so that when you do accomplish these um, success goalposts accomplishing these things you will have a lot more lasting rewarding effect but understand that that effect is gonna come down to baseline so that and that's okay because that's how we built So next time, Grace, mm-hmm. what are the things that we're going to cover? So next time we're going to continue our exploration of 10% happier, um, some of the concepts, particularly around um, the concept of impermanence. <laughs> Imper- Sorry, particularly around the concept of impermanence. And while it's very closely related to some of what we've covered with hedonic adaptation, helping to better define where the nuances are and how that relates to mindfulness. So join us next time for that. So if this discussion was fun for you to listen to, and we hope it was because we had fun geeking out, then we also hope that you'll stick around and geek out with us in future episodes. You can follow us at mischievouspanda.org for the latest and greatest content. And don't forget to join us every Tuesday for a brand new episode.